I thought the question was going to go somewhere else, but. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you could restore it Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. I have with me Persona Maliandi, a person who has been forcing me to watch Bollywood movies for the past week. <laughs> so what do you, but well, Curtis, come on, be honest. What did yeah. you think about them? Also, hi. <laughs> uh, yeah, hi. <laughs> I, I've been enjoying them quite a bit. I think my favorite is going to have, so far, is going to have to be Three Idiots. ha. <laughs> I like the, you know, the, what do you call it? The, the mixture of the comedy and the dramedy and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting comedy. Um, oh yeah. The, did you know there's a Spanish version of three idiots called three idiotas? <laughs> I believe it would be tres idiotas. <laughs> Sorry. Tres idiotas. <laughs> All right. Well, we have, we should get to our guest. But why don't you want to spend time talking? We can make this like a Bollywood episode. Yeah, we can make a Bollywood episode. Two and a half hours long with some song and dance. Yeah, exactly. It would have to be two and a half hours long. That's why we can't make it a Bollywood episode. But before we bring on our guest, this is um, actually all three of us that are on today are are Druva employees, but this is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are our own. And also be sure to uh, rate our podcast at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. So our guest it turns out that today is his 20th anniversary in IT. He started out a long time ago doing uh, mainframe databases and uh, has had quite a bit of experience in uh, relational databases and has recently started messing around with non-relational databases, which is actually the reason that I wanted to bring him on the call. And um, he is a senior principal engineer at Druva. Welcome to the podcast, Tony McGarry. Thanks very much for having me, guys. Thanks for coming, Tony. Now, now is your time to do your intro song and dance. <laughs> yes, this is the this is the way all all Bollywood movies start. Is you need to do an intro song. How do you feel about that? I don't have a jingle as yet, so uh, I might pass. All right. <laughs> well, well, just so you know, worst Bollywood movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> I think I need have to get you... one. I didn't realize when you you know when you come with these things that you should have your own jingle. Maybe I yeah, you really should have your own jingle. Uh, I, are you aware that I have music video parodies? Did you know that? This is a real thing? I have, no, I haven't heard that. Okay, well, um, I will send you some links. So my, my YouTube account is WC Preston, like one word, WC Preston. And I have multiple music video parodies that include an Elvis parody, a uh, what's uh, Adele uh, Rolling in the Deep parody, uh, also uh, Thrift Shop. You know the song Thrift Shop? The I'm on a pop sometimes, only got $20 in my pocket. That yeah, song? yeah, yeah. Yeah. So mine is about virtualization. Mine is, uh, I'm going to build VMs, got at least 20 guests in my server. I'm, I'm virtual, get rid of servers. VMs are so awesome. There you go. Okay. <laughs> you just, you really do not know what you're going to get into when you no, come on the podcast. No, I definitely don't. And Tony, yeah, if you'll listen after this episode is recorded, you can actually hear one of his parodies too. Yeah. That's actually um, sung by his daughter, which is awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh so you, you you don't want him to hear one that I did. You want him to hear no, one sung. No, the daughter. proper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so um, so Tony, 
I, I'm actually in the process of writing my next book. So, uh, which, uh, and, and I'm, I, I, I'm currently trying to finalize the, the, uh, the chapter on basically things that you should back up. Right. Um, and obviously databases, uh, is one of those things. And I, I have a, pretty solid history on backing up relational databases and you know i i know how to back up oracle and informix and sql server and sybase and some other databases that that aren't around but like postgres as well mysql you know these are all pretty straightforward right i'm either going to run a dump command or I'm going to shut the database down and I'm going to back up the, you know, the files or the raw devices that the database is sitting on. Uh, or maybe I might do the hot backup mode where I put the database in backup mode and then I, I back up the, the files again. These are all pretty straightforward. What I'm super confused about is when we talk about these other databases and especially multi-node sharded databases like Cassandra and MongoDB, so and 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 also big databases like um, DynamoDB, which I know that we use DynamoDB, and I don't know where where should we start. So, so, so I, I was wondering before you even get into talking about protecting, maybe we should even talk about how those kind of function and how they might be different. Where do you think we should start, Tony? <laughs> yeah. Um... <clears throat> So my experience with these is uh, is a bit varied, and I mean some of this may not be exactly as it is is now, given different versions of uh, software. You know, as I've used them in the past, and you know, because I, I've I've taken a little journey through. I would have spent a lot of time, you know, I'm still using you know, twenty years experience using SQL databases in all different flavors, particularly MySQL and and um, you know the Aurora flavors that now come from Amazon is sort of my forte at the moment. But I would have come through in the NoSQL world playing with Cassandra in 2012, um, Elasticsearch, um, a little bit on the Mongo side, but not a whole lot. Uh, I'm actually sort of interested in the in the Amazon flavor of it, which is which is DocDB, although it's not, not truly Mongo. It's more just a not Mongo compatible. Um, and of course, uh, DynamoDB, which is probably... Probably the largest, um, the largest NoSQL use. You know, I'd say DynamoDB and, and Mongo would be the big ones at the moment. When you when you say the largest, do you mean the largest that you use, or the largest that you think is in use out there? In terms of popularity right now, I mean, I think you know, it's, people are going to look at. I'm building an application, and, and you know, I, I know I need something that's, um, you know, SQL isn't going to provide me capability for because maybe it's built as a serverless application it needs to use a http interface and like not a not a odbc or, or a, an sql type interface with a direct connection so in those cases you're you're looking at something that is using more of a sharded type database and a, an eventual consistency model as opposed to asset so those decisions that are pushing you that direction um if you're looking at popularity you're probably talking about mongo or DynamoDB. Just an editor's note, uh, Tony threw out a bunch of acronyms there that some of which we didn't get back to defining. So I just wanted to make sure that everybody was on the same page here. When he's talking about um, connecting to the database, he, he was saying that 
these databases support an HTTP connection, um, you know, meaning that you're connecting to them via HTTP, like the, the web protocol, not an ODBC or SQL connection. Um, wh wh what that is, uh, ODBC is the Open Database Connectivity Protocol. And um, ODBC is a protocol that allows you to directly connect um, to a database over a network connection if you have the appropriate authentication to do so. And then SQL would be a more direct connection, like if you're running in the same server, you would uh, connect to it via SQL. So uh, he's just saying the HTTP way of talking to databases versus the traditional ODBC way. So now we're going to get back to the recording where he will then define this concept of ACID and eventual consistency, um, and which are also important. Thanks. Yeah, you just threw out three terms that not all listeners are going to know. Let's start with ACID. Yeah, so, um, you know, ACID is what people in the um, SQL world are going to hold on to, and um, they're going to hold on to it pretty tightly. So it's, it's sort of the, the model of what this database is trying to uphold in terms of how it operates and how a transaction operates, you know, and, and ACID itself is, stands for atomicity, consistency, isolation, and durability. And, you know, there's, they're sort of the pillars of what their, you know, their database is going to um, provide. Um, so if you look at consistency, for example, the, when you ask to do a specific action, you know, particularly like a, an update or a, uh, an insert you know that whenever you get the whenever you ask for that action to complete it's going to complete in total and once it's complete every other connection when it asks for that piece of data will get that version of that data whereas um a, an eventual consistency model would use a different theory and it would be that um one of the nodes that you got access to when you ran your transaction that would have fulfilled your transaction but a different connection to a different node may get a different result requesting that data so it can have for a period of time dirty data um so that's just sort of a different models and, and there's there's a there's sort of weights you know it's like this um it's like this triangle where you can never sort of satisfy you can never have all three of these things you can only have you can sort of tip the scale on one, but that's going to, you know, put the scale down on the other. So you can get more of one and less of another. Just another editor's note here. Uh, what Tony was describing is the CAP theorem, which says that you can have consistency, availability, or partition tolerance, but you can't have all three at the same time. That you can either have consistency and partition tolerance, or consistency and availability, or availability and partition tolerance, but you can't have all three at the same time. That the more you have of you know, two of them, the less you're going to have of the third one. So you just have to pick which one you're going to sacrifice. And so in this case, if you want partition tolerance, which we do, and you want availability, which we do, you're going to have to sacrifice consistency. Let's get back to the recording. What you were describing um, as opposed to ACID uh, is uh, the, the concept of eventual consistency, right? That, that eventually a given update will be consistent across the entire database. And the... Is eventually like a year or is eventually no, like milliseconds be, or seconds? 
Well, it, well, I would just say it depends because one of the best examples of the, the, that are given for eventual consistency is the DNS system, right? Mm. You you do a DNS update, and eventually that DNS update will be everywhere. But it actually, in that case, because that's a essentially a worldwide database, um, and and depending on your time to live value, it could take. Um, um, Hours, hours to days to update that, but I don't think that's normal in a uh, in one of these databases. What do you think? Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's um, I mean, a DNS. You could say a DNS is a type of database, um, a very distributed database, and you know, it has its own rules because you have different hardware operating with with, um, with different caching systems, etc. As you as you mentioned, with time to live. Um, yeah, but when it comes to when it comes to the eventual consistent model, like a lot of these companies who offer these different databases, are, they're that's what they're trying to do is is in is actually reduce that time, that latency as much as possible all the time. And and really, it comes down to, I mean, how distributed is it? Is it network distributed? Do you have um, different asks in terms of your CPU memory and network capability to deliver that transaction to each specific place where you've distributed it. So a lot of factors there, but um, again, a lot of these, a lot of these um, companies and, and let's, let's take Mongo, for example, like they, they offer, offer their own hosted version, which is finely tuned to offer you the best performance that they believe they can offer you, you know, Mongo can, Mongo can offer. Right. Um, and it's one of the ways they, they sort of build their business model uh, is that, you know, if you, if you get our version of it, if you pay for it, it's going to be much better than if you do it yourself. Right. And, and they also include backup, don't they, as part of that service? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, right. you know, that's, that's something that's easier for them to do and, and, you know, they can do it and still have your live database. You don't have to necessarily, um, you know, stop all your disks and take a, you know, a, a hard copy of everything that's there and then restart your database. You know, they can do right back up um, across a shared so, database. So let's talk about that idea of eventual consistency. Uh, what I'm trying to understand, uh, although DNS is, is DNS is literally the only example I can come up with. Why is it, or how is it ever okay for two things that query the database to get different answers at the same time. How is that ever okay? What application would that be acceptable in? Let's look historically at something that operated like this for, for years, and it would be um, an ATM. Uh, and, and probably have, has fallen down in the past for these certain certain operators of ATMs, which um, would have had a problem with consistency where people would have exploited it in the early days and said, if I go to one ATM and I take money out, and the, the transaction hasn't made it to my bank account yet, I can quickly run around <laughs> with a whole bunch of other ATMs and make the same transaction and beat the bank. And uh, it has actually been the case, but of course, it'll eventually catch up with you. And, uh, you know, the bank figures it out and they come track you down. So, um, so, the, so it allows the application to be distributed. It, it has, I, I would say, there, there are some side effects but they're not catastrophic. Exactly. I mean, the thing is, you have a record of each transaction, and it's um, let's use the the ATM example again. You, you know, you have a thousand dollars in your account. You go to each ATM, and you you t- you do a sub- subtraction of a thousand dollars, you know, five different ones. But 
net effect is still, you know, five minus a thousand from a thousand is negative four thousand. So that's what your eventual bank account uh, balance is going to be. Balance. You you mentioned that you know as you're making an application, if there was application of a certain type, you would you would be drawn to one of these databases. Can we talk about like what type of application? would you be making that would draw you towards so so DynamoDB, you know is is what we call a key value pair database right so it's literally just i i just think of it as what what's what what did we call that in Perl programming an associative array isn't that what was that wasn't that what that was called my my the Perl programmers hopefully you're either proud or disgusted at me right now because i haven't <laughs> i haven't <laughs> programmed in Perl in years uh, associative array, as I recall, was was essentially a key value store inside Perl. If I got that right, I'm I'm pleased with myself. Yeah, as, as a data structure in RAM, right? Yeah, uh, but but so so DynamoDB is one of many of these key value pair databases where you need a key and you can get the associated value. And with with DynamoDB and DynamoDB, is it only available as an Amazon service? You can't install that anywhere, right? There are there are light versions of it, so I mean, there's, oh, okay. there's replicated versions which you can host locally, but you know the service is an Amazon service. Okay, um, and is that that light version is what something that connects to the main version running in? Uh, no, as in, as in there's there's a Dynamo interface compatible um, versions of DynamoDB, which you you can completely host local on your laptop. Um, you know you can you can run them as a bit like a, a MySQL. Light. Oh, okay. Um, Maybe for know, development purposes, or usually for development pur- pur- purposes, testing purposes. Um, you know, you can run an isolated environment and do a, a full test of test suite against it. Um, so, in, so in the case of DynamoDB, you can have a humongous DynamoDB instance, right? And a like, single table too, right? And a, or so, a single table. So yeah, so you can have a humongous table in size, yeah. But I mean, you don't have a you don't have an instance as such. You you have capacity. So in, yeah, in okay. Case, I, I, maybe right? I I was trying to use a database term. Sure. Uh, thank you. Uh, you you do not own the instance. You own a table in. Well, you don't own anything. You you're paying for the right to use. <laughs> yeah. A, a table in someone else's database, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Did I use the right terms? Okay. Um, Amazon owns the instance. The table can be. Are there any limitations on? That table size? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's the actual key length size, the uh, data length size, the but not capacity limitation. Total number of keys? I, I can't remember. I'm sure there is an upper limit, but it's probably something ridiculous. Huge. Yeah, I would assume it's something very very large, just given what Amazon pitches DynamoDB as. I hope you appreciate all these editors' notes. <laughs> So I did actually research this question, and there does not appear to be an upper limit on the number of key value pairs that you can store in DynamoDB. That is not to say that it scales indefinitely. There are some people that report issues with hot keys, meaning a key that is looked up more frequently than other keys, and what you actually run out of is uh, the the queries that you have provisioned for the the table and the problem is that the table is partitioned uh, up and that you're only able to select the number of queries 
uh, at a at a table wide basis, not at the partition basis. And so, you select how many queries you want for the table, and then the that number of queries is divvied up by what one writer called a fairly wonky formula. Uh, it's divvied up amongst the partitions, and that if you have a partition that through however your uh, database is structured, that it gets more queries than the rest of the database, then you could be theoretically forced to have more queries than you need everywhere else in order to satisfy the queries of that one partition. So anyway, that's the only thing I could find in terms of limits on the size of a DynamoDB table. Now back to our recording. Underneath, I guess the question, underneath, this interface, you, it, it, it's it's got to be some sort of multi-node scalable type architecture, right? Do you know? Yeah, so, so that's so that's what you do. So so you actually provision your your capacity. So you you know you upfront you say you know I want to per second allow for X number of reads and writes. Um, so that's what drives your ability to connect to it and the ability to run transactions. Gotcha. And this is sort of where they have the ability to do like provisioned read ops and provisioned write ops, correct? Exactly. And and they've they had they now have another flavor which is um, you know, to operate more in a serverless world, which is um it's on demand. So it'll size appropriately itself. Which you have to figure is pretty hard to think if you think about it, right? Yeah, because you you know, it's it was sort of it was one of the things that you know would Tempt me, you know, would tempt me away from using DynamoDB because it's at the start it would be ha having to have this upper limit, and you know, it's like, what happens if I hit my upper limit? What, how does my application behave? You have to code for all that, and um, it's really like you have to you have to build it towards your peak. Uh, what's my peak read? My peak peak write? Because if you if you don't, then when it gets to that point in your application, you're going to get failure. Um, mm. And your application gotcha. has to deal with that. You know, there isn't something in the database that's going to say, "I'm, I'm going to hold on to these these transactions and do them later." It's um, it's just built to fail. Um, so it'll just push them back to the application, and the application has to write them write the redundancy for it. So here's an important question: How do you back up DynamoDB? So <laughs> they actually were very smart with their backup method for DynamoDB. So it's it's um, they call them backups. Whether they're backups or snapshots is uh, another uh, gray area, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. But you can take, you can actually take a thousand backups a second of DynamoDB. So you what? Can pretty, you can be pretty sure that under the hood, all they're doing is like, you know, they must have uh, timestamps against, you know, current state where they can just say flag and keep those timestamps for later mm -hmm. periods, as in when they need them. Now, um. And when you take these backups, what ha it, is is it an equivalent to when you take an EC2 or an EBS snapshot, and it create it, it actually creates something tangible in another Amazon system, or is this backups, as I make quotes in there, only inside DynamoDB? So that's the thing where it made it different. It's it's actually only inside DynamoDB, and it's it's not something you can you can move very easily. So it's actually it's it's still attached to the table in the region on the account where you created. I would definitely not consider that a backup. <laughs> yeah, going back to your three, two, one rule, Curtis. It's actually shadow data. You know, they've they've just shadowed the, the table somewhere and said that's that's a backup, and we can restore to that point. 
but it's um it's not very easily transportable do they give you a mechanism though tony to take just like an ebs you can copy that snapshot to a different region or a different account you can share it and you can restore it to a, a different region but you can't you if you can restore it and then by restoring it you can take another backup and then you now you have a backup of the original database or the original table which was in a different region in your target region but it's a little bit cumbersome and it's not traditional backup well it's not a traditional database no. so i'm i'm learning to let go of certain things but uh, i, I mm-hmm. i'm not letting go of the three two one rule <laughs> so it, it's good to hear there's at least some mechanism however convoluted to get it to another area and region etc okay so that's so that's dynamo and that's that's one thing what is a sharded database so a sharded database is um comes down to the storage of it so it's there's obviously different sharding mechanisms but uh, ultimately what it means is that the record you know so your database may be made up of uh, as a cluster maybe made up of different nodes you know individual different machines which are handling the load of either the storage the transaction processing or the connections and, and in different in different parts and the the storage itself of if you look at any table or any you know number of records any one record may be stored on one or many of those nodes of the cluster but it doesn't necessarily have to be stored on all of them um and by doing that you've increased the redundancy of the data because it's it's in in many places so it doesn't have to be everywhere but don't when when you create uh, such a table in Cassandra Mongo, don't you specify that each piece of a sharded table has to be on at least in number of nodes? Don't you? Isn't that something that you specify? Exactly. Yeah. So, so some of them are are self tuned, and others are are they make them out of the box with a specific, you know, tuning for that. And others you can tune yourself. Okay. So you can say you know you can specify n nodes or percentage nodes that you want the particular data to be on any copy of data. And so a piece, uh, so a table is, so partition would be the generic database term, right? So where you, where you partition a table either vertically or horizontally, and you, you, so you split this table up into many pieces and each one of these pieces is going to be on a few nodes, but it's not going to be on all of the nodes. So, so here's a question I have then is, and I know, Curtis, you're going to kill me for this. If I'm sp- sharing my data and splitting the data across the nodes and there's redundancy in these sharded databases, why do I need to do backup? Redundancy is one thing. And, and it's, I mean, I would ideally say that you should have both. And I think um, more and more people are starting to realize this. So if you have redundancy built in, you're, you, you've also built in you know, the fact that let's just say even replication, not not just um, transaction redundancy or sharding, but even replication. But everything everything gets um, replicated. Everything gets made redundant. So, uh, so corrupted data will get the same redundancy and the same uh, replication as everything else. So if you accidentally did something or if you, your program went haywire or if you had a malicious actor or something, um, you still have all of your data is exposed to that effect. So having a backup is something I can go back in time to when, you know, this hasn't happened and I can restore to that point. Or it's just some, you know, 
um, you may it, it makes the system more portable. So you, you may have the case where um, the system goes down, the service isn't available, and I need to move it somewhere else temporarily. So um, it's always good to have a backup. Always good to have a backup. I just can hear Curtis reaching through the computer screen, smacking me on the head, being like, what sort of question are you asking? You are doing the job that you're supposed to do, which is being the idiot in the room. <laughs> no, it is a, it's a question that people ask. So it, it's a very valid question. But I, my short answer is for the same reasons you back up a raid array, right? Uh, redundancy and availability do not equate to... Uh, data protection. I mean, they are an element of data protection, but as long as you have humans, you know, that can do things like, oops, I just dropped a table (laughs) that I didn't mean to drop, you know, replication just makes your stupidity more effective and you, you need to be able to recover from that. I hadn't actually thought about the, the, uh, the transportability uh, aspect or portability aspect, Tony. That's a good one. I like that too. Let me ask you this. Is the approach to backing up a multi-node sharded database like the same between Cassandra and Mongo, or do you use completely different mechanisms? And then also as a, as a tail to that, I'm assuming that there's a way to do it when they're running an Amazon versus what you would do if you were running it on, um, uh, you know, regular hardware somewhere else. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have enough, um, current knowledge of Cassandra is a comment exactly. And Cassandra is a, is a funny beast and I've heard some stories about it. Um, I was, I was using it back in, um, 2013. So it's, I mean, seven I'm years sure ago. nothing's changed in seven years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's good for a start. It's got this really funny storage system. Um, which they, it, it's a type of, um, hard disk file, which is called an SS table. And an mm-hmm. SS table doesn't correspond to one storage table. It's like, it's just a contiguous block of disk where we keep writing data. Um, and data data is never deleted physically. You always write to the end of these SS tables. So like it creates files physically on disk, which are like SS table 01, 02, 03. So it's like an append only file system. Is it like yeah, a waffle? And, and, it's like a waffle. <laughs> yeah. And it's, um, you know, th- things may have changed, but it, but it was, it was, um, one, it's very, it's very good for writing, um, but it eventually becomes pretty poor for read because what what happens to data when you delete it is it actually it actually tombstones the data, so it just marks the, those records and say they're you know they're no longer there. But if you want to read it, you have to read over everything to get you know to understand the data. So the data is tombstones and it keeps growing. What I'll tell you, Tony, is based on my research, and I haven't. You know, you still have one up on me. I haven't ever touched Cassandra at all, but based on my research, that none of that has changed. <laughs> Everything right. you just described is still the case. There was a company, and I, I mean, it could have been Spotify in the early days. I can't remember, but it was a music sharing company. Who knows? There was back back then. There was a lot of competitors, and they were, you know, there was a lot of shuffling going on with with, diff, with different uh, who's the best right. in the area. And I, I know I know one of them used. Um, Cassandra, and they, they wrote an article how their 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 backup task became their maintenance task because one of the things with Cassandra was when you do a backup, it doesn't read the tombstone data. Um, so if you if you backup and restore it, you've shrunk your database. And they actually had a thing where they rolled, they had a, a nightly, a weekly, and a monthly roll where they would roll certain parts of the whole database, essentially recreate it all. Um, 
and by doing that, they shrunk their database and improved the performance. Just to shrink it down every time? Um, <laughs> well, it, it, it's, a, it's a byproduct of the fact when you back it up, when you back it up, you, you, don't, re, you don't read the tombstone data. And when you restore it, you don't have the tombstone data. So your, your data gets shrunk and it becomes like what's, what was contiguous records become not broken up with these tombstones, wasted data in between. Unintended yeah, consequence. <laughs> yeah, I do remember reading about compaction of SS tables. So this is still a, a current concern. Like, what? Wh- how how would you get a backup across, you know, a hundred nodes? What would you do? Like, do you have to go back up every node individually, or is it sort of? Yeah, based? back when we were using it, we were actually just running it on EC2, and we we're we we're doing the backups ourselves. Uh, you know, on an EC2 basis, and that's fine when you when you don't have a, a twenty four hour database. You know, you can. You could do an overnight backup, but um, yeah, we we didn't use any tooling, and I'm, I'm sure it's come along, you know, a lot since then. Um, but yeah, I'm, I just don't have the experience anymore to comment correctly. I don't, I don't want to do it in justice. So not not current enough to comment on it. That that's fine. What about what about Mongo? The appeal of Mongo is is like it's brilliant to me because I mean, more and more we're dealing with this unstructured document data, and you know, the ability to index on on different fields and, and different different types at multiple levels of your document without having to sort of do all this, you know, um, normalization to the fourth norm level and abstract it all out into different tables in SQL and have to worry about the performance and, oh, I've indexed the wrong field. And, you know, down the line, we, we, we have a different report and we have this problem. So there's a great appeal there for me. Um, I'm just trying to find the next app that I can say, yes, let's try this out. Yeah, so with it, without we we did do it on purpose, but you know we we did cover three different types of databases, right? So we talked about the key value pair, which is a Dynamo database. Mongo is a document style database, and Cassandra is that what do they, what do they call it? A wide columnar, and and also I, I I don't remember if we talked about it on the pre call or the current or the current or this part of the call, but you also talked about uh, the search. Elasticsearch, Elasticsearch database. That's a nut, It's a search database, right? There, there are different types of databases, and each of them are, you know, keyed to a particular application. Well, they're, they're becoming more specific for purpose. Would be the right the term. So. Okay, okay. So, I, I guess um, the. When you're running, do, do most people? Uh, you know, again, I don't know if if you know this or not, but. Like you, do you think most people, when they use Cassandra or Mongo or something like that, are they doing it in something like Amazon, or are they running it on actual nodes in a in a data center somewhere? I think they're um, with Cassandra in particular. I think it's it's becoming something that Amazon is definitely through the marketplace is becoming more. Um, that's where you, that's where you acquire it. You know, so there is flavors okay. of Cassandra that are offered directly to the marketplace pre, you know, pre-built AMIs where it's just you specify what sort of size instance you want, how many you want, etc., and it'll it'll and operate out of the box. So, the, so just the way you described that, that's still different than DynamoDB. It's not an it's not a a pass offering, right? It's it it's still running in virtual nodes in the cloud. Yeah. Um, so so right? EC2 is the managed part of the service, but I mean, it's you, you take over at that point. So they're just they're giving you the for patching and everything yeah. else like that, right? Exactly. Do, do, they, do they provide, is it easier? 
if I wanted to, and, and again, I, I don't remember the exact uh, way that you would back up Cassandra or Mongo, but let's just assume that it's something along the lines. Of, as I recall, you take a snapshot. You take what they call a snapshot. Would it be easier to take a snapshot across 200 EC2 nodes than it would be, and, and by snapshot, I mean Cassandra snapshot or Mongo snapshot, not EC2 snapshot. Would it be would it be easier to run a command like that on you know 200 EC2 nodes than it would be to do that on 200 physical nodes or virtual nodes in my physical data center? I thought the question was going to go somewhere else, but um... <laughs> <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is, is it easier to do these multi-node type activities that I would need to do for backup purposes if my database is running in the cloud versus running it in a you know in VMs in the data center? I find the cloud all the way. Um, the more you get towards something that's managed, plus the availability of the storage to put it, you know, you have massive on-demand storage wherever you want, elastic storage. Because um, even taking the backup, what do you do with it? Where, where do you put it if it's uh, you know if it's your VMs in your in your private cloud or on-prem? It just becomes um, it's another question. Do you have the space to actually copy it? Do you have the physical disks there that you can you can put this backup on? That's um, Mm-hmm. That's even the prereqs to being able to do it. Yeah, because as I recall, you know, there, there, there's two. I, I think there's a f- multiple issues. One is there is this: you need to coordinate an activity across hundreds of nodes, right? Um, yeah. Because because there's no single backup this database uh, command, so you need to coordinate this snapshot activity across a hundred nodes. And then you need to coordinate getting that, which is what you were talking about. You, you need to coordinate getting that somewhere else, which you would need to then coordinate that as well across potentially hundreds of nodes. Yeah, exactly. And, and so where did, if we, if we look ahead. at the, the idea then of, of getting it somewhere else, I mean, what's happening more and more and in, in, in AWS in particular is they're, they're offering like direct path for know exporting it to s3 and i mean once you have it in s3 you know it's a blob data you can do what you want with it you know you can put it back on a tape and stick it in a vault if you want you know it's um it's entirely up to yourself you know you can you can copy it to different regions different accounts put different security on it um the cloud is your oyster um in terms of what you want to do with it but tony mcgarry 2020 the cloud is your oyster Um, (laughs) (laughs) any other interesting sort of we're, when I sent you an invite to, to have this conversation, the, the subject was weird databases. Any other sort of weird databases that come to mind in terms of having to back them up? It depends, right? So we're getting more into the, um, the more we go cloud, the easier this becomes because the, the service t- is starting to offer. I mean, after, after it offers databases as a service, it starts to offer the backup as a service. Now, whether that's, a coordinated backup solution or an integrated backup solution, but usually there's some hook that you can get in where the storage medium itself, uh, particularly when we're looking at the cloud and we're looking at, you know, managed services where they're using blob storage as the actual medium, like S3, you know, backed Aurora databases, for example. Then you're looking at um, a high level of data guarantee, you know, low corruption. I mean, we're we're talking in the, I don't know, minus ease of of um, percentage failure. But um, that's where I'm starting to see things move. And it's, um, it's, I think it's very good because people have more time to focus on other areas of the application and backup becomes 
something that's much easier to implement in the cloud than it is elsewhere. Yeah, I, I'd say the more, you know, the I think you said this, but I'll, I'll just state it again because I, well, whatever. Um, so the more a database is offered as a service, the more something like backup would be included as part of that service, right? right. Not not that the not that the backup necessarily happens by itself, but that the but that it's made easy to do the backup, right? Like you talked about DynamoDB uh, snapshots. Uh, it, it's a command that's in there that takes that backs up your DynamoDB across however many nodes that it might be running. And the more and more I think that you look at doing something like Dynamo or, or like uh, Mongo or Cassandra or whatever as a service the more, uh, the easier it would be to back up that thing. So I would say if you're looking for a database service, though, I think an important point, I know, Curtis, you always talk about this with SaaS apps, is make sure there is something that talks about backup in that service. Yes, don't assume that those backups, because that's definitely an invalid assumption, don't assume that those backups are happening. You know, the, the cloud is not magic. The cloud is just someone else's computer, right? So just make sure that you're, doing that, that as soon as you're looking at a new application, whether it's a database application or whatever application, immediately, you know, investigate backups. Don't, don't figure out how backups work after you've been in production for a year. Yeah. I mean, the, the <laughs> nice thing is it's the, it's the split in the responsibility model, which is, which is what makes it so nice. I mean, if, if you had to provide the, you know, the server to run the database and then figure out what software you wanted to run to back it up. And then figure out how to patch that and how to execute it and run it and copy the data versus having the service of a database and a service of backup that goes alongside it. And then it's up to you right. to figure out, you know, how often do you want to use that service to create backups? It looks after the coordination of, you know, sharding nodes, et cetera, to make sure you have something consistent. And then once you have that backup, you can look at how you want to orchestrate the storage of it, whether it's moving it around the world, um, moving it to different security models, whatever it is. All right. Well, Tony, I think this this ended up being a fascinating podcast. And I'm <laughs> going to uh, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Tony. Uh, and thanks to the listeners for uh, sticking with us and talking about some seriously nerdy stuff. And uh, make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead it's all jacked up. See, I'll holler right on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit.
run Hoping that just for once it'll be completely done Maybe 